HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We do more varieties and flavors of cheese than anywhere else on earth. By pushing the boundaries of what cheese can and should be, find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Welcome to Processing, a podcast about the intersection of food and grief with your hosts, me, Zara Tangora, and my lovely mother, Bobby Comforto. Um, hello, everyone. It is the holiday season, as they say, and uh, with that brings a melange, to say the least, of uh, really complex feelings. Even if you like it, I still think it feels uncomfortable at times. Um, I spent the holiday alone this year because of COVID. Um, I do not have COVID, but I did not want to get COVID or spread it to anyone. So I had a very lonely holiday and I kind of feel um, pretty heartbroken around the holidays. Anyway, I missed my dad. I missed being with my family. And as many of you, I'm sure also feel, I really fucking miss uh, regular life, so to speak. I miss being around people um, and not thinking about illness and viruses at all times. It's really hard and it's really, um, I'm sure a lot of you feel this way. It's just really beginning to uh, really feel like too much. So if you're feeling that way, you're not alone and we just have to find ways to continue to get through. Um, so anyway, I, uh, I, I'm just on behalf of Bobby and I sending a lot of love to everyone. Um, always, but particularly during this time of year, which is just unforgiving at times and also lovely. And if you guys had a lovely holiday, um, that is wonderful because that also exists. So however you spent the holiday, um, we are thinking about you and, uh, thank you for tuning in today. We have a great show. We are joined by a journalist, Tim Donnelly. Um, Tim's a wonderful guy and we had a really interesting conversation about, well, first and foremost, the passing of his father and uh, about change and uh, about perspective. And it was just a really beautiful talk. And we were really lucky and honored to have Tim join us. And thank you, Tim, for your openness and sharing. And uh, again, we're just sending love to everybody out there. And I think we probably won't get back uh, to talk to y'all until after the new year. We're going to take a little hiatus. Um, 
but please reach out if you'd like to be a guest on the show. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. I know that's one of those things that people say in podcast land, but um, it actually makes a really huge difference. It actually makes all the difference in terms of our show being able to grow and reach more people. So um, if you like us, please uh, write a review um, or you know, just leave a leave a review or subscribe to the show. Tell a friend. Whatever feels good for you. Um, but yes, thank you. Thank you for tuning in. We really appreciate you. And we really look forward to bringing this show back um, in January better than ever. And um, hopefully full of new enthusiasm and life with more wonderful guests. So thank you so much. And take care of yourselves and each other. And we love you. Thank you. Hello, today we are joined by a new friend of ours, Tim Donnelly. Tim is a journalist and a New Yorker and an East Coaster. And it's a pleasure to have you, I see, as we're meeting as we normally do via a Zoom-like platform. But I'm seeing that you have a gorgeous painting in the background of your home. I just want to compliment you on that starting straight out of the gate. Yeah, it's actually a uh, photo of, you can't really see it with the Christmas oh, yeah. decorations in the way, and no one can see it who's listening to this, but <laughs> it's a photo of my girlfriend and, and our roommate um, on the roof last summer. Oh, awesome. Um, with their, with, there was a light leak on the photo, and it looks like their like, auras are shining, and so they liked it a lot and got it, uh, got it uh, framed, printed out and framed. Awesome. The colors behind you are just, it's really, it's a very nice image. Tim... You uh, grew up in South Jersey, as you mentioned in your kind of pre-interview. Uh, I grew up in Long Island, as did Bobby. I feel like there's a lot of similarities to people who grow up kind of New York adjacent, but like in places that are mm-hmm. just like close enough, but not quite the city. Did you feel that kind of growing up that like I'm like so close to New York, but yet so far away? Yeah, you know, it's weird. I I never felt that way. In fact, I felt very far from New York where mm-hmm. we were because we were very... Uh, in a kind of like uncultured and um, a little bit conservative area in Ocean County, New Jersey. And I, we didn't actually go to New York city that often as a family or friends. I mean, we would every now and then, but it wasn't like we were popping in for shows and stuff all the time. And then um, I moved around a bunch. I went to college in Maryland. Um, I worked at a newspaper in South Carolina for four years. And upon moving back to the tri-state area, was kind of shocked at how much like of a pass I got at being from New Jersey um, <laughs> among like native New Yorkers. Yeah. People were just kind of like, oh, well, you get it. You get it right. at least. Right. And, you know, in a city full of people who've transplanted from everywhere, from Ohio and California, people are maybe a little bit more like, well, at least you, you were in the uh, in the stuff. You know, you, you get you get like what these people are like. Exactly. And I'm like, yeah, I, I guess so. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Exactly. You say coffee the same way, even perhaps. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. You say Super Mario instead of Super Mario. <laughs> exactly. We're on the people same People hate level. that one, but, but he's from <laughs> Brooklyn. That's how people in Brooklyn say it. Exactly. A hundred percent. So what was it like? What was like the, the family dynamic growing up down, down there? Do you say down the shore? Are you from down the shore? Now, as a New Yorker, I actually don't know the New Jersey lingo. From We were from South we Jersey. We just say... We just say the beach. Okay, so you're from um, the beach. Got it. Da- saying down the shore or the shore has many negative connotations. Oh, does um, it? I'm so sorry. 
that existed even before there was an awful MTV show about it. Oh, okay. Um, and we, we lived in a very um, kind of touristy area. We were a little bit, we were like maybe a, you know, 15 minute drive from the boardwalk, but we lived in, I lived right near Seaside Heights, which okay. is like a huge, you know, down the shore. Right. Like it's, I mean, that's the Jersey Shore, Jersey, you know, boardwalk. Right. Um, and the MTV show. So um, we, li- we lived with like a summer of like being in- infiltrated by like people from Staten Island and North mm. Jersey and Pennsylvania um and so we had like a lot of um what what i thought was like maybe misplaced locals pride at the time but now i realize was like probably you know accurate and um and and healthy Mm. in that i have lived in a lot of other beach areas in my life including ocean city maryland and hilton head south carolina and i could say a lot of bad things about new jersey but at least it's authentic and at least it's like you know, there's like real businesses there and they're like owned by families and maybe they're owned by the mob, but at least the mob is local, you know, that kind of thing. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, I feel the same way, Bobby. I don't know how you feel like being from Long Island. I feel like the similarities between uh, the perception of Long Island and New Jersey are, you know, they're they're pretty similar and oh you're from long island a lot of like joey but a few goes or whatever it is you know that the stereotype is but everyone i really like wanted i always like to honor that like everyone's hometown even if it's like uh objectively like you know kind of like the shittiest place or it feels awful or it's oppressive or it's whatever it's still your hometown there's still things about it that are like lovely and there are things that you are used to and there are things that are special to you even if you thought they were in some way annoying growing up like you know I think it's important to just like no matter where you're from like it doesn't matter you can love it I love Long Island I I have even considered getting a Long Island tattoo (laughs) whoa I mean, don't hold me to it, but I'm just saying. <laughs> I, I I know I've seen lots of people with New Jersey tattoos, and I just assume that's they lost a bet <laughs> when they got that. Um, I, I will say this: I, I have no real love for New Jersey, to be honest, and I, I do not want to go back there. Yeah. And even times I go there for a little bit of time, I often have something of a bad time. Yeah. Um, and, and that people are just kind of mean in a way they aren't in New York, and mean and like territorial and and aggressive in a way that like, I think people associate with people from New York city, but it's not the case in New York city. Right. People in New York city are too busy to be mean to you. They're, you know, no one's going to yell at you unless you're in their way. That's true. You know, unless you're blocking the top of the friggin' subway steps, uh, right. we'll check on your phone, but mostly people are nice and like happy to be, to be friendly and, and, you know, to talk to strangers, which is a great part about living in New York in normal times, at least when you could freely go places. Um, but I, my parents, uh, my family was kind of like a very prototypical, like New Jersey suburban family in that my parents were both from, my dad was from the Bronx and my mom was from North Jersey and they both kind of like decamped to the suburbs, you know, and started a family. And so they were kind of like people who pushed away from the city mm. and like, um, both my sister and I were a generation that like moved back to the city. She's in Philadelphia, I'm in New York and, you know, love being that. So we had, um, so they, um, it was, we had a very small family situation. It was just like my mom, my dad, my sister and I mostly, and we had a very, very few grandparents around, um, or any extended family of any kind. Um, so we kind of like lived a life like far from city centers and like far from the cultural in- footprint of that, which 
you know, I, I'm I'm not I'm not resentful for, but I wish we had like taken more advantage of it and been a little bit more, you know, participatory in um, like the things that were available to us geographically. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. So, you know, I actually always wonder about that when people have that kind of life growing up close to a big city where they kind of end up and like love being and thriving in yet it wasn't part of um what was going on at home it wasn't being like you know it wasn't embraced by the family perhaps like how did that kind of click for you how did how did you become interested in the things you're interested in where did that kind of come from you know it's interesting and i this is like the great like um justification of my life or or like um great like victory of my life is that i knew from a very early age that i was missing something back in even like maybe third grade i was like man i really hate new jersey like and i i didn't even know other places existed i hadn't really <laughs> been many other places you know we went to disney world and it's not like i wanted to move there but i was like there must be something else <laughs> yeah to there must be something else going on. And I was just like, a lot of my youth was just being like truly terminally bored. And I think that's a lot of things that like most kids have trouble with is like kids that get into trouble or violence or drugs or, I mean, I was like not cool enough to be around drugs, but um, uh, at least not then. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but like just truly like looking for something to do and like, you know, being so excited when, um, my friends got cars and like we, but there was nowhere to go when we had a car, we would just go to the beach or we go to the mall or we would just like drive around looking for something interesting. And um, so I always had this sense of like absence, like I'm missing something and I don't know what it is exactly. And I didn't even know it was like moved to a city or moved to New York, but I had a hunch it would be something like that. And so um, I almost went to NYU um, I ended up going to GW in DC instead. And so I kind of like enjoyed being in the middle of like where there was stuff to do, but there wasn't really a lot to do. And so finally, when I was, um, kind of like living in South Carolina, I had been working for this, uh, small, but really good newspaper called the Island packet, which is a big, which is the big like newspaper on Hilton head. Um, and was owned by McClatchy at the time. I think it still is. And, um, you know, it was like a kind of traditional out of journalism school, um, job for anyone listening, I am a million years old. So I did go right into print journalism, um, <laughs> after, after college. Our and, oldest um, guest of all time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Tim, when you were in South Carolina, um, your dad became ill. Um, can right. you talk about that a little bit? What, what was the circumstances of his illness? And I mean, I know in your pre-interview, you had mentioned that like throughout this illness, like it was difficult to understand the severity of it, which is something that I think, you know, I'd love if you could touch on that. Um, cause it is, it is something I think a lot of people deal with myself included when, before my father died, you know, I mean, my dad was sick for 10 years and before he died, but like, um, you never, we're not conditioned to necessarily be able to accept the gravity of these things sometimes. And I think we all think right. like things happen to other people, other people's dads die, other people's moms get sick other my dad will be fine I mean that's how I have thought at least and I kind of thought from what you were saying to us before the show um that maybe that was part of it for you so can you just talk to us a little bit about your dad's illness like what that was like for you the experience of finding out being far away etc yeah so I was um I guess I was about two or three years into my time in Hilton Head and 
my dad had been dealing with a series of health problems that he was trying to get a diagnosis for, like, you know, had some weird pains in his legs, um, having trouble, like, you know, just kind of like achy and weird spots and, and was kind of like, he, he was kind of an old school macho-ish guy who like hated going to the doctor and just like, didn't, didn't think that doctors knew what was best for mm-hmm. him. And so kind of getting to this diagnosis was a while coming. And then, um, at some point he got diagnosed with a, with a bone marrow thing that I didn't really understand what it was or how serious it was. And then it got upgraded to leukemia. And I was like, well, I know what that is. Um, and it's weird when that happens and when you're far away and not going to the appointments and everything, um, you know, Hilton Head was like a, ooh, like a 12 hour drive from them in New Jersey, I think maybe nine or tw- uh, 10 or 12, maybe it, it's been a while since I've had to do that. So, and like a couple, you know, obviously getting by plane was, was also, there was, we weren't close to an airport. So that was, um, uh, getting, I mean, my family in New Jersey wasn't close to an airport. So getting home was like, not that easy either. But, um, uh, so yeah, so it's kind of hard when you, someone gets diagnosed and you're not there and you're like, okay, I know this isn't necessarily fatal, so you just do what the doctors say, right? You just do everything that they tell you and like next step, next step, next step. Um, and then all of a sudden it's like the steps, there've been many steps and there's been many chemotherapies and, you know, things aren't taking. Um, and that was a little bit hard to just kind of get from far away because I was just hearing from my mom, you know, occasionally hearing from my dad. Um, he like, like, called me in the middle of the night and left a voicemail one time, like was having like horrible, like chemo nightmares or something. And I was like, Oh, this is, this is dark. But even then I was like, that's probably just a side effect. Um, mm. And then by time it had gotten like really, really bad, he got in a bone marrow transplant. We thought that would do it. And then um, that didn't take, and then it came back and then it was like, okay, now things are really, really bad. So I remember coming up for, um, he died in August and I came up in June to Jersey oh, what for year was this? this would be 2007. Okay. Um, so I came up in June of 2007, um, for about a, maybe like five days just to, just to see everyone. And, and he was coming out of the hospital. Um, and he wasn't, he didn't look good. His, he was weak. He was, you know, he had gone through waves where he actually came to visit me in South Carolina at one point when he was on a like a good wave and he looked good. He had lost a bunch of weight, but like not in a sickly way. Um, And we had a good time. And then um, I came up to New Jersey in June and he was coming out of the hospital after whatever round of whatever treatment he was getting and went home to to our our family's house and um, just kind of like wasn't really there, like was kind of just like haunting the house, like too cold in one room, too hot in another room. Mm couldn't really watch anything on TV cause he couldn't focus. And I was like, Oh, this is, this is, this is dark, but I didn't know what to do. Mm. Um, and I had to like, at some point go back to South Carolina because I'm like, I know I'm going to have to come back up here because I know this is getting to the end. So at one point I was like, so I'm going to go and then I'll come back like when I could stay for longer, which is a really awkward thing. But I also had like a life and a job and I was, I was covering like a town government. I was like the main town government reporter <laughs> down in Hilton Head. So there was like, I had actual like responsibilities that, you know, wasn't like I could just blow off this job entirely. Um, horrible dilemma. And this is like long before. Yeah, it's a really a horrible dilemma to be in. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, this is long before remote work was really um, a common yeah. thing. And so 
I mean, you know, in retrospect, I should have just been like, screw it. Like, I'll just stay or whatever and spend more time. But, you know, you never know for sure. And so I was kind of just like, and, and you know, my parents were like both like a little bit. Um, they've always been they were always a little bit weird with emotions and that kind of like a little bit maybe never really expressed them fully, not in a way that it wasn't like anyone felt unloved or anyone felt unappreciated, but just like talking about things, you know, airing things out, talking about your feelings was like not really done. So having them be like, no, 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 you stay, you stay, you have a life, like you have to do things to do um, in South Carolina. And I was like, yeah, but also I could, you know, I, I could put that stuff on hold. Um, and so by time, you know, by time I finally got up back into New Jersey in late August when he was like on hospice, you know, he was like, conscious for you know coherent conscience and coherent for like maybe half a day when i was there and then everything else was was you know not which was i'm glad i got there for that at least but yeah um yeah it, it's rough yeah it's rough and i'm actually i am just having this thought um and it's something i've kind of pondered before but i think sometimes and it's kind of tying into what you were talking about describing yourself in the beginning of this episode and like who you are and how you identify with being a New Yorker and how, you know, your New Jersey does not hold maybe a very special, like a, you know, fond place in your memory. Um, I think that it's an interesting thing when we uh, have a parent specifically who is dying in a town that we don't particularly want to go back to and spend right. time in. And it's not just about the pain of the parent dying. It's about you being like, and this can happen no matter where you have to go because you do revert. There are so many kind of childhood memories that come up, but the, if you're going back to a place that you feel like you have moved beyond and your life is somehow taking new turns and you're doing new things, then you're called back to this, like, not only this painful feeling, but this place you don't want to be in. And this like memories of being this person you were as a kid that you finally escaped. It is like loaded. It's so loaded. And it's like, I mean, I, I just, it felt so palpable and kind of almost cinematic when you were describing that, especially having like gotten the backstory of how you felt about, you know, where you, grew up in the first place mom is that something yeah, that you well, absolutely i'm sensing that you use the word darkness a few times and it seems like it was like a kinesthetic darkness you know there's some times we go back to the family home not just the family town but the family home and the minute you walk in the doors there's some drag down it's there's a pull down into yeah. old stuff some stuff that wasn't processed and and now there was this new pain in the house and and I'm, I actually was at Hilton Head once and I saw it as a very idyllic place. You know, there were dolphins jumping up in the air and the, the ocean yeah. was everywhere. So they, they, Sounds amazing. Let's go right now. <laughs> there you were in this kind of new life and in, in an island somewhere, an idyllic island somewhere, you know. And it must right. be really hard to come home. I wonder what some of your feelings were at the time when you when your dad was on hospice then. What was it like for you? It was tough. I, I had this theory that I will, will never be able to prove because my mom has since sold that house and moved away, but um, that I was actually like, like truly physically allergic to the house um, that we grew up in. And I don't know if that was like entirely psychosomatic or, but like for years when I would, when I would go back to New Jersey, I would have like an allergic reaction of the kind that I like haven't had since I was a child, like, you know, like wheezing and like, like, like uh, my eyes would like water and, in ways that I'm like, I don't get these kind of reactions anymore. Like I, I've like, I've kind of grown out of some of my allergies even, but, um, so I would go and just have these like crazy, like, 
I, I don't know if it was my brain being like, get the hell out of here. Mm. <laughs> you don't like it here. But I would just go and have like kind of weird, you know, like reactions to just being in the house. And I was like, is there like black mold in here? Is there like a kind of tree we have in the yard that is making me miserable? And I, I never quite solved that mystery. So it'll be, you know, something I'll put in a novel one day, some maybe. But um, uh, yeah, it was tough. You know, it's, it's also tough seeing, you know, I had I, it was actually nice to reconnect with a lot of uh, friends from high school who were there who had kind of like never left our town. And um, so when I went home, when I went to, to the family house to see when my dad was on hospice, you know, there was a lot of downtime, obviously. So I was able to reconnect with some, with some old friends who were still around and kind of see them. And, you know, it's, it's, it's obviously a bit of a cliche that like seeing your friends who never left your hometown is like sometimes depressing. And uh, this was like, I, I felt really good about it at that time. Cause I was like, this is nice to see these people. They're still here. It's nice whenever I pass through this area, I can like kind of see some folks that I, you know, were very important to me at one point in the life. And um, I don't like wish my decisions on anyone else. Whatever anyone has to do is obviously great. But I'm also like seeing folks that like are the kind of you know, a version of what I could have been had I been forced to stay in town was like not, was just more reaffirming to, um, to me that I didn't want to be there. And, and then all your memories are wrapped around that thing too. So it's like when my dad actually passed away, um, like the moment he actually passed, I was not at home. I had to take a break. So I had gone to, um, I had use of someone's car and in, I think my mom or dad's car or something. And I had been, I had been home with my dad all day, you know, just kind of sitting by the hospice bed. And then at night, my sister and my mom came home from running errands. And I was like, I need to go out and get some air just breathe. So I, I went down to, I drove down to the boardwalk. I smoked a joint and, um, I was like standing on the boardwalk, you know, when my mom called and was like, it happened. And I'm like looking up at all these rides that like my dad used to take me on. And like our entire family history is like kind of connected to the boardwalk in some ways. Like we spent a lot of time there. I worked there for many years. My sister worked there for a lot of years and, and, you know, and we've just like, it's just kind of like a place you go when there's like nothing else to do. So like watching all this, like kind of like telescope, like back into itself mm. and in one instant was like really heavy. And in a way, I'm glad that that was the case, because like it's nice to have all those memories as crushing as they can be piled on top of each other coming down at you at once, rather than if they had moved to another state that I didn't have any feelings about. And it just all felt mm. kind of antiseptic and and you know bland i'm like i'm like hit me. if you're gonna hit me with it like hit me with it real mm, don't yeah. just like hit me with the hallmark version of it you know like i want to get like like really dig out those emotions and like let's go well, it was like your it was like your whole life passing before you in a way you know as your dad passed yeah yeah you see um i mean a little choked up <laughs> you see uh you know you see the history you remember like the early days childhood you know all these times you spent together you know, the ride you went on specifically, I have a very specific memory and I've written about this before is, um, of just like my dad and I love the, like, um, I don't know what they're called. They're like bumpies. They're like tall, bumpy slides where you go down in a burlap. Yes. <laughs> uh-huh. Like we love those. And they were so fun. I still go on those today. Yeah. Th those are great. And I just have memories of us like doing that a lot. And I was just like thinking about that as he, as I was like about to drive back to the house and like, goes deal with all this stuff after he passed but um it's a really beautiful memory 
It's a beautiful memory. And, you know, it's just when you're talking about being on the boardwalk, when you found out that your dad passed, it's like kind of just such a interesting thing about how some things just stay the same and we change. And then when we see those things that were the same, you know what I mean? Like a, a building yeah. that's the same, a house that we grew up in, but we don't live there anymore. Um, a place we used to work years ago, you know, a beach we always went to with our family, whatever it is, like, you know, a big tree in our old yard. And yet we have gone through so many different changes. And in some way, even talking about the folks from your hometown who didn't leave are similar to the boardwalk, you know, like it's weird when you see yourself because we are all are present in our own lives and all constantly thinking about our own change and progress and to witness the things that seem to stay fixed. And it's such an intense thing that I think people don't always talk about as much when we talk about grieving and losing someone is the incredible sadness, not only of losing that person, but then the complications that come along with it in terms of like your memories. And in terms of like right now we're in the holiday season of thinking about things that like we want to think about again, but become so deeply complex. You know what I mean? Like wanting to go to the shore, wanting to go to the boardwalk and see, you know, the, the things and think about those memories. And then those same memories also being cutting and fucking devastating. You know what I mean? The bitter, but like, bittersweet. there and present. And it's yeah. just, I don't know. It When you lose someone, it like kind of ruins everything. But also like that has to, you have to find a way for that to also be okay. You that's know what the, I mean? That's the processing. It's That's the healing is it goes from ruined to he, fixed, you know, to healed. I call what you're describing time traveling. Like I think we time travel a lot with our memories and we can go back by just seeing, I love the image you said of the tree or that wonderful ride, the bumpy ride. You know, it's we time travel. And I think that's how we process things, too. You know? Yeah. And I, you know, the idea that you brought up um, about not changing and, and seeing that in relation to people who don't change is is kind of a thing that I that gets in my head a lot, too, when I run into people that I used to know in New Jersey or, or in other parts of my life at any point who have just kind of been stuck at the same spot. And, and I don't, I, I'm saying stuck. That's my phrase. They wouldn't see it as stuck. I'm sure. But right. it's like, you know, I, I know people who I went to high school with who do not listen to new music. Like they've never <laughs> added new yeah. music to their rotation and you will go to their, into their car or their house and they will play stone temple pilots and <laughs> the offspring and sublime. And yeah. like, nothing wrong with those bands, mm-hmm. but um, like, you know, there's so much else to listen to in the yeah. past 30 years Yeah. Um, that I'm just like shocked that you would even cut yourself off from that. And, and the, the change thing is actually a thing that, you know, like probably motivates a lot of my life now is that with my family, I feel like everyone kind of my, my parents who I love and like, were were great to us, you know, they kind of like locked in place in a way that you did in the eighties and nineties when you were like, doing the like parent thing. Like they, they both like, you know, like I said, they moved to the suburbs. They, um, didn't develop a lot of like friendships outside the family. And my mom changed careers a bunch. My dad had the same career his entire life, which is working in men's clothing. And then, um, you know, my dad was kind of like forced to retire early. He was working at men's warehouse, Mm -hmm. um, 
so thank you, Men's Warehouse, for making my dad retire early. Um, I don't know if you can name brand names on this, oh, but no, that's fine. Um, sponsor. forever hold that grudge on them. Um, so, uh, so he was kind of like, and he was only like in his 50, mid 50s at the time. So he um, was kind of on a, on a years long quest to figure out what else to do with himself after he had left this job. And he kept being like, well, I need something that like, you know, uses my skills. And everyone he talked to was like, your skills are in retail because you've only ever worked retail. Um, and he was like very getting very, very frustrated by it and couldn't figure out what to do with his time. So he was just like mowing the lawn like five times a day and, <laughs> and watching everything on HBO. And, um, you know, uh, I don't know what else he was doing. Um, and so and like, you know, he went to like some job counselors. Like He was pretty proactive about it, which I was a little bit shocked about. But and and only years later did it strike me that I what what he should have gone into. And this will tie together nicely with the theme of the podcast. What he should have gone into is is like restaurants because mm. he is like he has the vibe. He had the vibe of like really good restaurant manager. Like, you know, the kind that like comes to your table, yeah. checks and everything. Like if there's a problem, it will be their problem. Right. Like they will be the one to talk to the server and and or the back of the house. And like you will not feel shitty in this restaurant because this guy is like there to take care of you and make sure your food is good. And like that, which, 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 you know, m many good restaurants have that kind of person. Yeah. A lot of good restaurants have the like, well, I don't, what do you want me to do about it? Kind of person, right, which right. is shitty. And my dad would have been like, he, he liked talking to people. He likes like hospitality in a way. And so I was like, God, I should have like taught, told him to like go into restaurants or like find a, mm. you know, I had friends, families who owned restaurants. I'm like, we could get you like a gig, like work in the front. And like you would, you would actually like really love this. I think it's a nice way to describe and a father. It's a really it is. It's a very yeah. sweet way of painting a picture of him. How was he? How was he about food and cooking? Was your dad a good cook? What did you guys like? What are some of the food memories you guys have together? He was an okay cook. He was kind of like a meat and potatoes kind of guy. But mm -hmm. him and my mom had a had a deal where they're like whoever came home first was the one to like make dinner. I mean, it was usually my mom who came home first because my mm -hmm. dad usually worked like an hour away, but. Um, so whoever came home first, would get dinner started. So he was like a, a London broil kind of like pork chops. Um, you know, nothing like bad. Um, just very like meat heavy. Yeah. When I gave up, when I stopped eating meat in college, he could not really understand it at all. <laughs> like it was just not very, like, he just couldn't quite wrap his head around it. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, so we did, you know, we did like cookouts in the backyard, um, Trying to think of any specific recipes that he was like really good at. Um, you know, he loved to like he he actually like loved going to the diner, which is a very Jersey thing, obviously. But like very Long Island thing too. But and tell me now, if anyone yeah. ever says they go to a diner and they're from Jersey or Long Island, first question, obviously, what's the go-to diner order for you? And what was oh, yeah. your dad's? Well, let's see. Uh, our go-to diner was Sandcastle Diner, which is on Route Nine in in Beechwood. Um, and uh oh man what was the go-to order that's a great question it's been a long time for for a while it was grilled cheese for me but that was like after i stopped eating meat i think my dad was like a club sandwich guy oh, great I would get like a hearty soup like mm. a chowder or like a french onion mm -hmm. um i think we all loved a french onion uh i i remember i mean it's it's christmas time right now um i remember one christmas we were there and just like on christmas eve i think we went to the diner 
And then on the way out, like the the diner manager like handed us a free cheesecake, and that was just like that's amazing. Like, sticks in my memory as like such a nice thing, even though it was like probably like not that big a deal. It is a nice. It just thing. sticks in my memory as like oh these they like recognize my family from coming here all the time, and we're like have a cheesecake. That's the power of restaurants, and I talk about it sometimes with like you know I don't know. Uh, we sometimes just think of restaurants as a place to go in and out of, or as a diner as just being, a that is a memory that like you are still like, this still significant. The little things that someone can do for you to make you just feel like appreciated. You don't get that that often. You don't get to do that for people that often restaurants, I think really have that kind of thing. And it's interesting that you talk about your dad, that he would have been good as a restaurant manager, because I think that is like a, um, it's it's a way of saying that he was like loving and thoughtful and like I'll take care of it, which is huge. And it's a really incredible way to describe him. Um, but yeah, there's those places growing up and they didn't have to be very good or maybe they were or maybe they weren't or maybe they were just good to you and your family. But like they're so significant. They are markers in time. I feel like life just kind of goes by very quickly and a lot of it we forget. And for me, at least, I've always thought of places, of restaurants, of meals, things like that are these little trail markers where you can kind of like bring your memory back to be like oh right that time we did that because we like we're eating this it smelled like this someone did that thing for us and it's like for me at least because I don't have the greatest memory ever it feels relieving to know that like there are some like little glimmers of hope where I can remember you know remember things that happened in my own life. Tim Um, you you mentioned that you have um vegetarian is that you have a is that something about your life that has changed a lot, the way you eat? Yeah, um, I am uh, vegan now, and I've been vegan for 11 years. Mm-hmm. What year is this? Um, this is 2030. Yeah, like <laughs> yeah um, so, and I gave up, I, I stopped eating, I, I went vegetarian in college in like my end of my freshman year, which is something I'd been kind of dabbling with, mm. like, or thinking about in high school and kind of had like, you know, I ran track and I was like, oh, I can't run, run track and be a vegetarian. That's insane. And then <laughs> later on, I was like, no, that's not insane. That's normal. Um, and so that um, that was an in, that was a big change in my life and made me feel better. And then when I went vegan, that made me feel like a lot better just about what I'm putting in my body and what I'm, impact I'm having on the world. And I just like feel better, like uplifted, whether it's from the food or just like from clear, uh, clear conscience. But, um, you know, our our food at home was like growing up was not super adventurous. And I don't, you know, and I mean that in like, it was very like utilitarian, but like, you know, but good. And my mom like cooked most of the things and like obviously did her best and like cannot complain about having a fridge full of food um, that I would eat eat most of when I came home from track practice on Fridays. But, (laughs) um, but uh, you know, we had like, my mom's big food was like, cornflake chicken sweet and sour chicken um chicken cordon bleu like stuff that was like fine but not like hot not, like adventurous and one one um there was a lot of chicken and one year for christmas i i think i got my mom a like thousand and one ways to cook chicken cookbook as kind of a joke <laughs> which i think maybe was maybe a little mean um uh so but, you know, they, they definitely like did their best. And like, you know, it was we were very much like 80s, 90s, like like uh, um, what's the word like consumer, like like um, all the ease, like at home ease, easy right. goods to make. Like, of course, instant coffee, like um, powdered, 
uh, powdered uh, uh, iced tea mix, mm-hmm. Lipton iced tea mix. Same here. Um, shake I and bake. To, I love rice powdered and iced tea mix. I used to like <laughs> yeah. eat that out of, I remember being a little kid and like sneaking into the cabinet with the powdered iced tea and just like eating it with my finger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a great pleasure. Uh, yeah. I don't know why that was our family drink of choice. We always had a pitcher of of, of Lipton iced tea in the fridge. Same. We did um, too, for sure. It was definitely a very 90s thing. Um, so Tim, also you mentioned that um, in 2020, or I guess that's last year, it feels like a decade ago, but um, your grandmother passed away as well. And it, it, when you were mentioning- Oh, that us, was that was this year, actually. That was This in year in 2021. October. Okay. Yeah. Um, so- you know, when you were mentioning this in your pre-interview and to kind of tie it to talking about your veganism, you had mentioned that when you went home uh, or went out out West for her funeral, um, that your contributions were culinary and vegan and that that is something that's significant in, in you sharing with your family. And yeah, I just, I thought it was interesting. Can you talk to us about that a little bit? Yeah. So, um, just the quick background of what happened is that my grandmother, uh, was 89, um, also averse to going to the doctor her entire life. And her and my mother moved to Arizona in 2012. Um, my mother moved because she had started dating someone and they wanted to get a place out there. And my grandmother, she's like, well, I'm taking grandma with me because what's she going to do? Sure. Um, so she's been living out there having time of her life. And then she got, um, like kind of went to the doctor for something. They found a bunch of cancer in her. They were like, well, didn't know about this. Um, and so she kind of like just just uh, just went down really quickly. She was like too old to do chemo. You know, it was it, it seemed like everything kind of was kind of happening really quickly. So um, my girlfriend and I uh, were in New Orleans, actually, at the time. We cut the trip in New Orleans short by uh, a day, flew to Arizona um, just to be there. And my aunt came in from Sweden. My aunt lives in Sweden. Um, my sister came in from Philly and, um, there was a lot to do there in terms of like talking to, you know, doctors and hospice and, you know, changing a diaper, which is not something I wanted to do. Um, but, and, and just a lot of costs also, you know, there's, it's expensive to die in this country as it is to do everything else. Um, so my mom had to, you know, deal with those costs and, and, and just like listing things at the house to at my grandma's house, like on, you know, on the free neighborhood message board for people to come by and buy. And, you know, that's something that I couldn't do either. Cause I didn't know those people, but, um, but, I, you know, my girlfriend and I were like, we could cook, we, we will cook like this can be our job. Don't worry. And no one worry about anything. Like we'll take care of this. We'll go to the grocery store. And, um, my girlfriend Callie and I have been dating for uh, a year and a half as of today. Um, and uh, thank you. Um, and she is in a very good, she's an amazing cook and just like very competent and just like has a good instinct in the kitchen. And I am a decent cook and have also like gotten better, you know, over the, over recent years and have gotten better since Callie and I have been together. Um, and she um, isn't vegan, but we eat a lot of, ve- we mostly vegan food at home, obviously. And so she's like taking it as a, as a challenge to be like, what can I, you know, I'm going to like make all these amazing recipes that are vegan just in our home cooking. So when we went out there, we're like, we had a whole stock list of recipes that we were ready to make. And we're like, the family will love these. So, you know, the simple things like a sheet pan, um, like sausage dish that we got from a New York times recipe. It's like, a um, a sheet pan recipe where you put on some, we put on some like, uh, beyond sausage and, 
it, it tastes like an Italian sub when it's all put together. Mm, it's yummy. like radicchio and pepperoncini and chickpeas. And Yum. you make like a to tofu ricotta for the side and get a crusty bread. Oh, so good. <laughs> Sounds And, awesome. um, and we had like an enchiladas recipe. Oh, actually, we didn't make the enchiladas. We had a chili recipe. We had um, a couple other recipes. And we're like, we can do this because one, it gives us something to do. Yeah. Like when you're in the period of grieving and or or waiting for someone to die and then grieving, there's just so much downtime. There's just truly nothing to do. Um, you know, even like we couldn't spend time with grandma after a while because it's just she wasn't really conscious. So. We're just like, okay, well, we can cooking like gives us something to do, makes us feel productive and makes everyone feel taken care of because like, I don't know what they were going to eat. Um, otherwise, yeah, <laughs> you know, my, my mom's fridge is full of like, uh, like a, a million, like thousand island dressings <laughs> and like a bunch of tomatoes in plastic bags. Like, uh, <laughs> so, um, so we're just like, we can make this like delicious food that we've all like, we've learned, I've learned how to make, we've learned how to make. And that I know everyone will like, and we can make a lot of it. And um, it will just, it's just a nice way to like make everyone feel taken care of when yeah. there's so much other crap going on. Absolutely. While my, my mom and aunt are like changing grandma's like diaper and bedpan. Yeah. And, and um, kind. yeah. And it's like, we'll just, we'll feed everyone. Um, my mom's boyfriend doesn't eat food. Uh, so I don't know what he wasn't <laughs> eating anything, but he did try, he did try one thing. Uh, but he doesn't really like like anything that isn't a ha plain hamburger. But right, um, we couldn't really do that. It couldn't accommodate that. But yeah, well, <laughs> um, can't please everyone. But yeah, it's just a nice. I don't know. It's just it just makes you feel like productive and like you're taking care of people and just that like also like you know I love introducing our family to like better foods because my mom has gotten more adventurous with her cooking over the years. But you know, there's still a lot of like kind of the basics out there. So I think we're just like, Hey, look at this easy stuff that we can do. That's also vegan and that's delicious and like filling and all that. Um, well, it's great to be yeah. able to share the things that feel important to you with people that you love and have them be received and then find that way. I think, you know, as we get older, we find ways of doing that. That's more elegant. I can speak for myself at least when I was younger and I had things that I was passionate about or that I thought about, I might've been more, uh, likely to you know shove them down my family's throat and be like this is the better way to do things i you know what i mean like i've learned this and there's yeah. something nice about becoming an adult and finessing um the ways that we share the things we're passionate about with our loved ones and it sounds like a really beautiful way to have been able to participate and care for your family and like i th those are one of the things that happen when there's a death in the family um, and everybody needs to pitch in and we all find our place of like, I'm the cooking person. I'm the cleaning person. I'm the errands person. I'm the person, you know what I mean? We all kind of pick up the load where we can, if we can, and we try because it's a, it's a project and it's a, it's, um, something we all kind of need to get through together. And we're lucky. I think the luckiest when there's a family full of people who can kind of make that work together. There's a lot of times, unfortunately, when that's not the case, but it sounds like your family, did a beautiful job of that. And I'm sorry about your grandmother and your, and your father. You know, I mean, these are just like, I kind of had this thought the other day about thinking about what grief is really like and how we're kind of conditioned to move past it and get over it and be done with it or put it in a better place. And in some way it's like as unchanging as your height, 
You know what I mean? Like once you kind of reach a certain height, this is it. This is the height you'll be. You know what I mean? You can stand on a ladder, yeah. you can lay on your stomach, you can hide under the bed. But like that's kind of what it is from then on. And it's kind of like about finding maybe clothes that flatter you to or finding people whose eyes you can stare into no matter where they're at instead of trying to think that in some way it's going to change or you can saw your legs off to be different you know what I mean and I think that like you know we do it through finding things we're interested in and writing and the partners we find and the people we meet and especially I think through like sharing it and being able to talk about it openly because it helps other people um I think understand that it's okay that it's a part of you forever and it is somewhat unchanging, you know, and you just find ways to dress for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Find ways to dress for it is a good way to put it. I, I think that like, you know, I think that strikes me all that, and this is in no way an interesting or novel uh, realization, but just like how much grief everyone gets in their life mm-hmm. and how much just sadness built up and you're totally unprepared for it. In that there's no way to, to, I, I mean, we, we could have better ways to talk about it and prepare people for it. And I'm, this is why the, I'm glad this podcast exists and other things like it is like just normalizing, talking about these things and that you have to be ready for it because it does not stop. Like you lose one family member and you think it's, that's like the worst thing that can ever happen to you. And all of a sudden, you know, uh, you know, a beloved teacher that you liked uh, dies from cancer um, a mentor that you had is, is gone suddenly, you know, people just start popping out of your life, like at random times. And you're like, Whoa, this just keeps happening. Yeah. And then, you know, you'll just get, they just kind of compound on each other. And you think about like how sad it is, how sad it is that anyone has to leave the party and then everyone keeps leaving the party and you're like, no, why? we're having a good time. Why are you leaving? Yeah. Um, and there's just no way to really, we're, we're just completely unprepared as people and all the education we get, all the bullshit that we get, like they're just like emotional development and emotional maturity are just not really taught anywhere. And I think that's a shame. I mean, I don't know. I don't know the right way to do it, but um, schools, I think just talking about these things and, and just being ready for the fact that you will have to deal with grief. It is truly the one constant in the world and things will get sadder and cancer will come for everyone. And sometimes like David Bowie will die out of nowhere and you'll be like a mess for a month. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's terrible. It's terrible. And I think just like, you know, this is terrible. And what else? You know what I mean? Like this moment right. was terrible. And also look, the sun is shining and I hear a wind chime in the background and I can talk about it and I can eat a delicious sheet pan full of fabulous beyond sausage and pickled pepperoncini. And that's delicious and my grandma died, and my dad died, but I love my girlfriend. And it's just this melange of different experiences. And it's, but I think really accepting that the ones that are hard always, right? Those are the constant. Those are the tree. That's the person in your town. They're never going to go away, but it's how you decide to kind of look up at them and how to manage them in your life. Yeah. And I think just learning how to, how to say it and let it, don't fight it and just yeah. be in it. You know, I heard something really nice. I think it was last week or the week before from Andrew Garfield or something on, um, I think he was on Colbert talking about, I think his mother passed away when he was, when he was young and he says something about, <laughs> now I'm getting choked up. <sighs> okay. Talking about Spider-Man. Let's go. Um, <laughs> so he talks about how, uh, you know, grief is like the, the unexpressed love that you have and that like, you shouldn't run away from it because, <clears throat> 
it's like a thing, you know, it's like it's an expression of a thing that you didn't get to say. So like don't don't fight it, sit in it, like let it be and it's not bad, you know? That's beautiful. beautiful. It's so that's a beautiful way of putting it. It is it absolutely is and it's a continuing relationship and it's something that I feel like we're told to just move past and it's important for me like at least with my dad and like missing my dad like the connection I have around my grief the times when I feel sad is like the times when I think about him you know what I mean I would never want that to be over I would never want to if I if someone could say you'll never feel sad about your dad again I would never trade that because like what the fuck is that you know it's right. it's important you know and it's important to know that it's okay to feel bad too and i think that's what we try to communicate with the show and that's why i'm so grateful both of us are so grateful for uh for you for your time for your vulnerability it takes a lot when we say this to folks all the time it really takes a lot to come on and not only like bring up these memories but in and thinking about the and thinking about what you're going to say before in the hour that we spend together in the time it takes to kind of come down from bringing up all of this stuff and sharing it publicly. It's a big deal. So we're so grateful and we're so thankful for you and your super generous gift of sharing your story with, with us and our listeners, because it means a lot and it is very generous of you. So thank you so much, Tim. Thanks, oh, I'm happy Tim. to do it. Thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. So we do ask everybody the same thing at the end of each episode, which is that if you had any advice for your younger self um, at the beginning of this experience, knowing what you know now about grief and about loss, um, do you have any advice for younger Tim about, about this whole thing? Um, I would say uh, kind of what I just said, like let yourself sit in the grief a little bit more. Don't run away from it. Um, spend more time with your family when they're all alive. Um, find find the ways to, you know, appreciate them that are not the things that you ran away from, even if that's like, you know, going to a new location or cooking a new meal or, you know, different different expressions of of your how you feel about them that aren't just being in the same room, you know, watching Lord of the Rings with commercials on TNT during Thanksgiving or whatever. Um, Cause that can get really uh, tiresome. And um, just in general, like just do, just do more. Um, like I, I am not like a latecomer to the life is short philosophy. Like I've kind of like understood that for a while, but like, man, it really, it really zips by. And so um, ooh, that one got me, huh? Yeah. Um, <laughs> And so I think that just like, you know, and I've, I've been good about this and I hope everyone is good about this. Like, do not like strive for a future where things are going to be right and you'll feel settled. Like that's now, like the time is now and there, like, there might not be a future. Who knows when a pandemic will end? Who knows when the climate change will stop? Probably not. So, um, like you really got to take advantage of things now. And, um, I hope that we all like, can live that truth like especially going forward out of this Super. awful time in history exactly embrace the moment beautiful the other thing that we like to do on our show is that we like to think if we could continue this lovely encounter and we could have a meal together what would we all bring so if we could have a feast now we'd love to have some of your interesting cooking that you've been talking about 
Oh, well, well, oh, well, well, I definitely, it sounds like you, you all are really interested in the uh, sheet pan <laughs> Italian sub I dish. That okay. amazing. All right. I would make that. I also have a, uh, my girlfriend and I have a killer, ooh, excuse me, my girlfriend and I have a killer um, vegan lobster roll recipe that we made <gasps> a bunch this summer. Ooh, what's that? Jackfruit? With uh, hearts of palm. Hearts of palm. Oh, that sounds so, so good. good. Oh my God, please yeah, share really that. That's amazing. interesting. Wow. I love hearts of palm. And I make a really good vegan um, eggplant rolling team where I use tofu. Ooh. And I do. And I whip up the tofu. I must admit, I add some Logatelli cheese in there as well. Um, uh, uh, uh. But we could, the, we could find the, we'll find a replacement. <laughs> okay. And then lots of, fresh par, lots of fresh parsley and a wonderful marinara sauce. So I bring some eggplant rolling team with tofu. Sounds so good, Mom. I'm going to round out this meal with caponata, but not eggplant caponata because you're making eggplant rolling teams. So I'm going to do, since we're in the winter, like a squash caponata. So like sweet and sour. We have like olives and capers in there, sweet potatoes, like red onion. Nice all baked together with some balsamic. Yummy. Sounds nice. good. I mean, let's let's eat. Um, Tim, I just wanted to also say before we get off, this episode was so interesting to me because it felt so much about change. You know, and I think that's just one thing that is um, important for everybody to remember when they're going through really anything in life, but especially after losing somebody, change. It's just like, just remember it, like keep it there from like the change of like who you are, you know, how you talked about from like growing up one way and having this like strong desire to, towards change and changing your life and through the changing of the, you know, seeing the changing of uh, your life, standing in that moment on the boardwalk, through talking about changing your diet, like all these things that episode is so heavily focusing for me, at least I feel like about change and it's special. It's important. It's an important message uh, for people who are grieving and just people who are living because it is always, you know, and, it, and even if you feel, I have someone in particular that I'm thinking about who's very close to me, who. I know feels like their life is un- unchanging. You know what I mean? And some people feel like that, right? They're like, oh, nothing ever changes. This whole situation is the same. It's like, can't move. Like it does, you know, mm-hmm. everything moves mm-hmm. and changes. And I think it's just important for people to remember. So that felt very powerful, mm-hmm. the, the way you yeah. were able to speak about that. And just thank you for that. Yeah, change and, and please listen to new music. Yes, and listen to new music. Important. New music out there. There's more to the world than sublime. That's true. Tim, this was really awesome. Um, it was fun. It was funny. It was insightful. Very tender and sweet and really raw. And I just thank you so much for joining us. It was a great episode. Yeah, no problem. Thank you, Tim. We'll talk to you later. Take good care. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Wisconsin, the state of cheese, makes half of the nation's specialty cheese and wins more awards than any other state or country. Our heritage and traditions, master cheesemaker program, and the American propensity for innovation all put Wisconsin on the cutting wedge of cheesemaking. With over 600 varieties of cheese to choose from and 5,500 national and international awards and counting, Get ready to turn your refrigerator into a trophy case. Enjoying a Wisconsin cheese is basically like winning a gold medal in culinary achievement. Set your mind at cheese. When you bite into a wedge of Wisconsin Wonderful, you know it is made with the ultimate skill and passion possible. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. 
Thank you so much for joining us for Processing. We realize that sharing these types of deeply intimate stories on air is a very personal decision. We began this project as a way to connect our listeners through shared experiences and storytelling. We hope that Processing can be a platform for sharing, learning, and healing. We appreciate our guests' willingness to be vulnerable and value nothing more than making both our guests' and listeners' experiences with our show positive and progressive. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or writing in a listener letter, please email processing at heritageradionetwork.org. Please follow us at processing underscore podcast on Instagram. Processing is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click at the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.